Welcome to Joy at Work. I'm your host, Alex Liu, Managing Partner and Chairman at Kearney. This season on Joy at Work, we've talked to people who are using a joy mindset to create major transformations. I've learned a lot from these guests who have joined us over the past few months. This past season has only reinforced the passion and the relevance of this topic. There's a broader definition of success besides just being a capitalist engine. It's community, it's the teams, it's the principles, and it's the leadership authenticity behind that. So when I speak with leaders and CEOs, I would ask them, why would you settle for anything less than joy at work? It's so important to the culture, and it galvanizes and amplifies the things that make you excited about being in your company and give you meaning individually and as a collective set of teams. In this recap episode, we're bringing you our favorite moments from each conversation. Keep listening for the best ideas and takeaways from this season of Joy at Work. I talked to Jerry Elliott, Executive Vice President and Chief Customer and Partner Officer at Cisco. She inspired me with her vision for a courageous, conscious, and compassionate corporate culture. We talk about having courageous leadership. That's one of the things we expect of our leaders. We expect them to bring a tremendous amount of bravery in being open and honest about our true selves and who we are. We also talk about our culture in terms of having a conscious culture, one that is intentional, it's purposeful, it's transparent. And then, of course, when the social injustice happened, that topic, we were very transparent about how we felt about that, how we were going to lead in that regard, how our employees felt. And we had some very open and honest, transparent conversations, some difficult and uncomfortable conversations about that. But it was amazing. You asked me how my leadership has evolved. I've learned all through this that it truly is having empathy and listening intently. And my team reminded me there's this saying from Tim Ferriss, who says, everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Boy, that hit me during this pandemic because everybody is dealing with something or, you know, we've all become caregivers and teachers and cheerleaders and social workers overnight with this. And so that reminds me to lead with a sense of empathy. And I always felt like before I was empathetic, but this has taught me everybody deserves a little unmerited grace, as our friend Brian Stevenson says in Just Mercy. Jerry also relayed how she has stayed calm and resilient amidst a lot of change. This pandemic has changed industries forever. I think there are some industries that will never come back to its original form. Retail, education, medicine, transportation, travel, I think they've been changed forever, maybe for the good in terms of that. But we as leaders have to embrace that change. I keep something here with me that one of my team sent to me during this pandemic. And it's a saying that says, we cannot direct the wind, but we can adjust the sails. It's a coaster and I, I use it every single day and I stare at it and it's a reminder that I can't control everything. I can only focus on what I can control and let go of absolutely everything else. And I think this is a great motto for business. I think it's a great motto for you personally, and it keeps me grounded, keeps me calm and in the present. 
And in the midst of all the change swirling around us, most organizations are ramping up their focus on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. When I talked to Dr. Anthony Wilbon, Dean of Howard University School of Business, I asked him about the push for a more diverse pipeline of talent and what that has meant for his students at Howard. Of course, that's been on the forefront of many companies' minds. But in order to make this pipeline work, we have to have companies come in and understand what we do and invest in what we do. So we suggest to all of our partner corporations to come into Howard Business School and make your presence known. And by that, I mean invest in our culture, understand what we do as an institution, understand what our students need, and then go back to your companies and try to build an environment that's going to welcome our students. It can't be a, we're going to come in, we're going to drop some flyers off and do some career sessions for a day and then go away. That's not going to help us solve the problem of building these pipelines to get these students into leadership positions in some of these companies. We have a lot of alums who are in these spaces who have been hired as chief diversity officers and similar types of positions in companies in various sectors. In my conversations with them, some have done it very well, but many have not invested what they needed to in order to make these chief diversity officers successful. And by that, I mean, I've had people say, okay, well, they hired me in, but they didn't give me a budget. They didn't give me staff. I had no access to the senior leadership. And those kind of things, it begs one to kind of think whether it was a PR process or some other kind of thought behind a serious investment in this. The senior executive has to be on board with this and they have to make the investment not only in the infrastructure, but in the training, creating environments that people have open conversations. Again, there's a value proposition that needs to be made here as well. And that is that when executives at your level are making decisions to avoid making major mistakes, you need to have different perspectives in the room. We've heard a host of companies who've gone out with either marketing campaigns or products that were insulting to some population or another, whereas you just have to imagine if there was somebody in the room to say that may not be a good idea, whether it's a transgender person or an African-American person or Asian person, disabled person, somebody would say, okay, maybe maybe we should rethink this. And it was very apparent that there was nobody in the room to tell the person because it was it was a classic snafu. And so there's a value proposition that I think that uh, people need to be aware of and really engage in. And if you're going to talk about building more sustainable, equitable businesses, you have to talk to Brian Tippins. Brian is the leader at HPE where he was formerly Chief Diversity Officer and is now Chief Sustainability Officer. We talked about how diversity and sustainability intersect. Here's how Brian defines success. Certainly there's some enumerated stated goals around reduction of greenhouse gas emissions or sourcing of renewable energy or energy efficiency of our products, right? There's stated goals of we want to reach this level by this year. And so those are quite easy to measure. Similarly, in the social space, there's some stated goals around diversity of our workforce, right? Representation of women or ethnic minorities or our procurement spend with diverse businesses. Those are quantifiable. You can measure those, right? But some of it's not as measurable. It's around the extent to which we could support sales through our investment in in environmental and social governance because our customers in the marketplace really care around this. Some of it's around just providing inspirational leadership that makes the best and brightest talent want to come work for us and stay here because they know they're working for a purpose-driven organization. Some of it's around how we work to lead positive change, not just for our company, but for the industry. And I think at no time has there been more focus being paid and attention being paid to this concept of ESG, of an environmental and social governance. It's all those ways that we impact communities and make an impact beyond the product 
product generation or the services that we provide. And so it's an area I've always been interested in. I've always been, Alex, like naive enough to think I can change the world and drawn to these roles that are all around doing well by doing good. And sustainability is a space to really focus on that because it's around driving positive change with a purpose, but not just purely philanthropy. It's around driving change for a business purpose. And if done right, it really helps to enable the business success. We find equal levels of interest with all generations because again, of that business impact and the appreciation for the fact that this is not just a touchy-feely nice thing to do, that this really drives business value. I think there's optimism simply in the fact that we're having conversations like this in a way that we weren't having a couple of years ago. Dealing with adversity is causing us as corporations, as individuals to think about how we can be a force for good, how we can do better, how we can drive some joy in the workplace. And so I'd say a, a couple of things that give me some level of optimism is one, we talked about sort of this new style of work. I think there's optimism in the fact that we know we're not going to return to the normal that we came from, that there's got to be some level of next normal that looks a little bit different. And that's going to change the future of work and how we work. But more importantly, I think it's going to humanize work. It's what we talked about before. It's being able to hear the babies crying in the background or the partner walking behind the Zoom screens. The fact that we're blurring the lines between our work life and our personal life, not in a negative way, not to say that we're just on 24-7. There's got to be some balance there. And I say bring our whole selves to work. That's very trite HR speak. But I hope that in the future, that's a trend where we're able to be more authentic and work with empathy because of this current environment. And then the other piece I'd say, it's forcing us to have to deal with what role do companies play? What role do corporations play in being that force for good and acknowledging that our team members don't leave their fears and apprehensions at the front door of the office when they come to work, that we've all got a role to play in driving this environment of joy. And I think the fact that we're focusing on that and prioritizing that as a business priority it is a positive trend that gives me some optimism. We all know that a lot of the headlines over the past year have been about challenges and suffering, but there's also a lot of good happening in the world. When I talked to Laura Lane, Chief Communications Officer at UPS, I could tell why her team calls her the joy spreader. She definitely finds the joy. I have to say that this past year with the pandemic and the social unrest and the growing recognition of the climate challenges that we as a global community have to face collectively, a lot of folks have looked at those situations and said, wow, you know, the world uh, is uh, facing so many challenges. And yet when I've looked at and reflected back on the past year, I've seen nothing but resilience. I've seen innovation. I've seen people rising to the challenge and reaching out to one another and reinforcing that power of the concept of all of us being stronger united. From that vantage point, I actually believe this pandemic has allowed us to be a little bit more reflective and maybe appreciate more about what brings us together than necessarily what divides us. And I'm really hoping that we tap into those learnings and help find the solutions for all the challenges that we've seen play out on the global stage over the past year and work together to build that better world. Business is a powerful agent for change, and I see it uh, manifesting itself in terms of what UPS is doing now, for example. When you think about the challenges of coming out of this pandemic, it's public-private partnerships. It's the business community working with government policymakers to find ways not only to 
deliver these vaccines, but also support economic recovery. I think business is a great equalizer because we have the ability, particularly UPS, to lift small and medium-sized businesses up, help them expand their reach, help them be able to take their ideas and make them a reality and get them around to consumers all over the world. We're enabling people to take their ideas and lifting them up, allowing them to be the basis for their own economic empowerment. Rather than waiting for someone to hand them something, we are enabling people to empower themselves and invest back into their families and their communities. I actually have a funny phrase that my kids absolutely loved when they were growing up. It was that life's short eat dessert. And I guess that's in essence, be happy in life. Life is uh, meant to be savored and uh, sweet. And so coming into the work environment, I think people can accomplish so much more if they're happy with what they're doing, if they're inspired and they're motivated. Joy is that multiplier of impact. Carol Tomei, our CEO, actually believes that as well. It's why she's made one of our metrics for success about increasing the likelihood for UPSers to recommend others to come to work at UPS. And I'm firmly committed to being a part of that change in our culture that makes work not drudgery, but work be joyful. And boy, during this pandemic, we learned a lot about how to spread a little hope and joy. People have been counting on us to deliver those essential goods and to deliver the vaccines now. And when you are involved in that kind of purpose-driven effort, you can't help but be joyful because you're delivering hope. A lot of the issues that we've been wrestling with, joy, justice, diversity, inclusion, hope, are important beyond the corporate structure. Creating positive change can impact entire countries and societies. I talked to Cheryl Wu Dunn, an author, an award-winning journalist, and a business and finance consultant. She has written several books with her spouse, Nicholas Kristoff, that unearth the big, hard changes we need to make. I asked her, how does she find joy? I would say that when you feel that you can help someone or you feel that you can really do something that has an impact, I think that's when we all feel a certain amount of satisfaction. Yeah, we write about the challenges, we write about some of the really depressing topics, but we also write about the solutions because that's so uplifting. There are so many social entrepreneurs in the U.S. who have come up with ways to help other people and, and create programs that actually can be replicated over the years. So I'm now also working with young companies that have a positive impact on society. In some cases, maybe triple bottom line, but mostly double bottom line. Some are in the cancer field where they can come up with a new way to screen for cancer or another way to come up with a very highly accurate test for all sorts of infectious diseases. And another one is trying to focus on pain management without pharmaceutical pills, <laughs> which obviously is a really big topic. It's, it's really exciting. Everyone wants to be able to sort of solve things, right? But when you can solve things, that also help society, that's great. And finally, we wanted to know, what will the next generation of work look like? What will the next generation of workers look like? How are the young people of today going to build more joy and justice into our work cultures? In our final episode of this season, we asked three recent graduates about their outlook as they start their own careers. And Harvard Business School Assistant Professor Ashley Willens joined us to help us understand what we can expect from the next generation, what the next generation expects from work. Today's young people want flexibility. 
They want their work to make an impact and have meaning. And they want time to focus on their lives outside of work. The more that you try to fulfill employees' happiness and ensure that their emotional needs are taken care of and that you create a safe environment, then employees will bring their full selves. They'll bring the causes they care about. They'll bring their passions to the table. They'll advocate on behalf of others on issues that they feel that are important, not just in their time away from work, but their time at work. And so I think some of these changes around flexibility and autonomy really emphasize that the organizations trust you as a person and respect respect you. And I think when there's a mutual sense of trust and respect that employees are going to feel empowered to, if they don't see their workplaces enacting some of these changes, to be that change that they want to see enacted. Just this idea when you know your CEO is really caring about you as a person, then you want to show up and bring your full self to the table. She also shared how her research about time, money, and happiness intersect and aligns with her own experience finding joy at work for the first several years in my career, did not set boundaries. I put all of my attention and energy and effort into work. And that cost me a relationship of 10 years. And I at first blamed the other person. But of course, looking back on that, I would never make time for them in the life that I had created. And that was really small decisions that add up or accumulate across the course of many years. It's me going to my inbox instead of spending an hour and a half with my partner every day over dinner and going for a walk or doing an act activity together. And those small decisions really add up over time, both positively and negatively. So it wasn't until I had this relationship implode after 10 years that I really started to take this idea of small changes around the margins right now, regardless of where I am in my career, seriously. So I make concerted efforts to disconnect at certain times of day to clearly communicate my boundaries to my colleagues and also to clearly communicate my off time to my partner so we can coordinate on our schedule because both my research suggests that we can get a lot of happiness out of small decisions we make on an everyday basis, but also from my own personal experience of making the wrong trade-offs over and over again for a period of time that cost me a lot of important relationships in my life. I'm really a fan of not sacrificing the things that we want in life until we hit a certain goal, but really making time for them in the here and now, because the future is uncertain, but the present moment is something we all have available to us. Joy at Work is going on our summer break. If you're looking for ways to transform your work and create more joy, listen back to our full catalog of episodes. We'll be back with you in our next season soon, so subscribe to Joy at Work wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'd love to hear about how you're finding joy at work. Share on social media with the hashtag Joy at Work. If you have themes you'd like us to explore, please email us at joy at Joy at Work is produced by Carney a global management consulting firm. We help our clients reach their full potential and find the way forward during uncertain times. Learn more at carney.com slash joy at work. And if you enjoy this show, check out the other shows in the Carney Podcast Network, including A World Transformed, Reimagining the Future, hosted by my colleague and Chairman Emeritus, Paul Laudacina. It's a fascinating look at how our current crisis will propel us into a new reality. And on Inside the Mind, Carney's Consumer Institute interviews consumer communities to uncover how and why people shop today and what their behaviors mean for the future of consumer goods and retail companies. You can find these shows wherever you listen to podcasts.